This episode sees the return of Derek Evely from eviltracksport.com. On this episode, Derek and I discuss what's new with Derek. Derek shares with us his thoughts on long-term athlete development. And I asked Derek how he would educate parents on long-term athlete development. This was a great discussion with Derek, guys, and I hope you really enjoyed. Derek, it's been a while since we connected. How have you been? Yeah, I've been all right, Robbie. How are you? Fantastic. Um, as I was saying, to just where he hopped on, much better, obviously, since everything here in Ireland opened up after the... Hey, why don't we just keep talking about what we were talking about uh, five seconds ago before you <laughs> put on the recording? About uh, U.S. history and politics. And- yeah, that, that went, man, that went, that went, that got pretty intense pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> it was well, awesome. Anyone that uh, anyone that actually does know me pretty well and has listened to any of my podcasts knows that I uh, I, I love my U.S. history and yeah. Um, me too. Me too. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 really get, yeah. I'm really getting into it. I've been listening to a lot lately. To uh, well, I I my son, I, my oldest son, is now 15, and him and I uh, embarked, or for me, it was a reembarked reembarkment on um, on Dan Carlin's uh, history uh, on World War One um, blueprint for Armageddon. And that just got me right back into into reading and watching a lot of history stuff. And in the last year, I've gotten way back into one of my big hobbies, which is polar exploration. A really good friend of mine here, um, Tom Novak, uh, he, um, he he who has his own podcast out now, which is really good, but it's on music, Chicago music scenes. It's it's uh, I've tweeted that out a few times. So. Um, it's called uh, We uh, No Wristbands. Anyways, um, and he, he turns out he's a big Shackleton fan. And, and, you know, so the last year I've really gotten back into all that. So I, I could talk for hours on that shit. But, and, but that's not we, what we're talking about, right? We're talking about. And, and we, will, <laughs> we, we, we will, we're talking about we, all this boring shit, athlete development. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Fuck's sake, people. What are you listening? Why are you listening to this? All those coaches right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no shit. Um, so many more important things to talk about. I know, but your list will uh, will definitely will definitely reconvene at another time, and and we'll yeah. talk talk our heads off about yeah. the Soviet Union, the Cold War, U.S. history, and Shackleton. <laughs> you know, you know who would get, you know who would be good to to get on to. If you, I mean, if you really wanted to do, I thought about doing that with music. Get like three or four of my coach slash music friends, like uh, like uh, Jim Van Ottegem in uh, who's in uh, Indiana now. Um, a couple other guys, maybe Vince Anderson's a big, uh, big uh, music guy and a couple other coaches I know. But if you wanted to do that on history, get like a couple of guys you've had on the podcast. One, the one guy you'd really is uh, that I would say you'd have to have on is Dan Pav. Mm. Dan Pav. I mean, that's his big hobby is he studies history. Right. And, and uh, biographies. And so he would be uh yeah, he, he, he would be interesting, but if you got two or three coaches that, especially if you could figure out if, you know, like get people with different perspectives, let's call it, you know, different political perspectives and get them in there that were really well-read, it would be, that would be an amazing, that would be amazing podcast. Just go, just don't even talk about sport. Just talk about something different, you know, anyways, let's go, man. Let's talk. Yeah, it would be hilarious. So, <laughs> just, just, just to finish that, it'd be hilarious too. Like you know, uh, you know, podcasts, whatever episode, and be like damn path, and everyone's all like, "Oh, brilliant training!" And then it's just like an hour, yeah, two hours exactly. Of history. Well, it'd be hilarious. I, 
I have one coming up. Today is a, uh, actually, it's a, I, I shouldn't say, but it's a, uh, today's a special day, um, but uh, in personally, but um, uh, I, I have one coming up with him. I've been, uh, I've set up with him and I just have to get him the equipment. I keep saying that about shit on my podcast. And I, I haven't put one out in over a month, well over a month, but I, I got, I got a bunch lined up coming up, but, uh, but I, I've got one with him. That's going to go that direction. It's not right. going to be too much about sport, but it, it will be, but you know, it'll, but it'll be interesting. Listen, man, when I did my, uh, the, the first, was it the first? Yeah, the first um, conference I did in Vancouver, the International Conference. of. So I brought him up and I purposely had him present on things he hadn't presented before. Like I had him or or at least things that he's not known for. Right. Like so, for instance, but he's really good at like he did a whole presentation on Javelin, which was unbelievable. But the fucking guy that i hired to do the video fucked up and and lost it anyways and then he did one which i actually have it's in good shape i have just haven't posted he did one on his basically his story his coaching story man robbie i'm telling you man the way that guy can tell a story and was it the room was floored they were mesmerized it was like you could have heard a pin drop for the he went on for like an hour and a half on just basically how he started what you know what he did he started off as a high school coach and pole vault uh, he, or as a pole vaulter you know and blah blah and he goes on and on and it was just unbelievable and there was like he might have tied some technical things in there somewhere but i don't remember it and i was just coming in and out of the room because i was putting out fires in other places and every time i walked in i was like holy shit i mean 90 percent of the conference was in that room right they only had one or two other options at the same time but he was just like yeah it was it, it was unreal I, sh I should put that together and get it up on the site it would be well, I, I've been lucky enough to have dinner with Dan, so and uh, he he was gracious enough to tell gracious enough to tell me his life story. So you know the German the German roots and his father yeah. and Ohio, yeah. and yeah. you know he played all sports and yeah, so I'm well versed. But it's uh just it's funny when we were just talking about history there too because Dan has been asked if he if he didn't get into the world of coaching, what would he have done? And his answer has always been he would have been a history teacher. And yeah. so, someone else who actually loves history too is uh Bush Neckschneider. So it'd probably uh, it'd yeah. probably it'd be brilliant to get Dan and Boo both on because that yeah. they they both yeah. love history. Could you could you imagine Dan being your history teacher? Oh my! Like god. the way he tells story. Oh my god! It, it, <laughs> you would be like that. That would yeah. That would be uh, that'd be a lecture I wouldn't miss every week for sure. Mm -hmm. So, anyways. So I reached out to you because I was actually re-going through some of the Altus Foundation course modules and you did a lot of work there on um, long-term athlete development as well as you went over some um, periodization um, concepts. You know, you covered mm -hmm. a lot to do, obviously, with Bonnetruck. Everyone knows, knows you very well with regards to Bonnetruck's training system. Um, it's funny, though, because I listened to a lot of your audios from the old Canadian Athletic Coaching Centre days. And I remember, like, you know, you, like, you did, like, some, like, amazing audio podcasts. Like, you had Franz Bosch back on that thing back, like, in the mid-2000s. But yeah. I remember where you were, like, talking about, like, Peter Cheney's uh, periodization mm -hmm. models. And there's such little stuff out there to do with Cheney, you know. And um, it's just funny that a lot of 
like a lot of stuff around Cheney and Charlie Francis high low. There's a lot of like highs there that you can see similarities through. Like, and it's just mm-hmm. like, again, like when people learn an issue about those concepts or understand them, it's like, it's, 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 it's nearly a cliche, but it's just like, it's like the old becoming new again. It's like, Oh my God, there was coaches who understood that, you know, you didn't also have to have these massive waves in intensity and volume that, that sometimes they kept them in shorter bandwidths. And they kind of just either kept one very, ver- um, they kept one variable the same while they manipulated another one. So just what, that made me go back and look at Cheney's type of stuff when I heard you initially talk about him. But uh, yeah, went, you, you, you know ahead. what? Like I get, I get, yeah, sorry to butt in, but I am, um, <clears throat> you know, I get, I get, I get these, uh, probably, I don't know what the word is, probably not <laughs> like I get these accolades sometimes about being his expert on all of this. And really I'm not. Like, I'm just, I'm, I, I study, like, that's a hobby to me. And it always has been since I was a young coach, since way before even I was doing those podcasts way back then. When I think, you know, I said this before, I'm pretty sure we were the first to do that in sport. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm just a guy who's, re- I'm, I'm like, like, like Dan reads history. I read periodization. And once I was being introduced in Britain by Charles Van Comedy on to, to, uh, to all the, all the coaches in Britain, all the head coaches and UK coaches. And he, I was doing a presentation on periodization. He introduced me and he goes, he goes, yeah, he's really into periodization. He goes, it's a, a it's, it's a hobby for him <laughs> and i was like yeah yeah that uh, and the way he said it though it made it sound like like oh yeah you know it's like this guy's done lived under a rock in a cave and just you know i've done a lot of reading and it all makes sense to me and i've i've talked to a lot of these people you know that's what the experience in edmonton gave me like franz bosch i was where, where did i i was at a conference in germany or something he was presenting i took the podcasting equipment and him and i sat in a room and I, you know, back then, I, I, I wish I knew then what I know now, because I would have, the, the, and thanks for those kind words on that. But I mean, I didn't interview very well back then, right? Like I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I probably wasn't as well schooled as I should have been on, on some of those. I remember that one in particular, I felt like really, uh, like I was, um, uh, you know, like I wasn't prepared enough, you know, but, uh, really to talk on his level, Bosch, but, but I mean, I got, a, I got good feedback on it. So. But anyways, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Listen, I, I've interviewed Franz Bosch and I, I know exactly what you're talking about there. Cause the phrase that came into my head was out of my depth. You just felt you, you know, when I like, and I, I, it was funny when I initially approached Franz to interview him on the podcast, um, I actually emailed them back and said, listen, I, I'm going to need to actually delay this because I need to read through your book and study it more because I feel underprepared to interview. And then he wrote back, mm-hmm. goes, good, good. He's like, good idea because Franz c- can come across like very sort of short fuse in that like he doesn't really mm-hmm. have time for idiots. So he was just like, yes, uh, mm-hmm. be prepared. And I, 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 that's I the impression thought- I got from him when I interviewed yeah. Was he was kind of like you could there was a few points there where he was kind of like looking at me like holy fuck like what <laughs> like your question is almost so stupid like, well it's I, just I wasn't prepared not so yeah. much the question was stupid but it was uh it was more like you know oh my god like where like you know this guy's not really totally prepared but yeah. I mean part of that's with me is on purpose because I I you know when I started at the when I we started the CACC stuff it was it was a we I mean I remember 
you know, talking to Kevin about this, it was that I want to do this like a coach um, who is just learning. I, 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 I want to go in there and, you know, and, and usually what the, you know, and at that time I, I was fairly well-schooled, not, not like I am now, but fairly well-schooled, probably, probably more than the average coach. But so, you know, I would, I would do these interviews and I would, I'd say 50% of the questions I was asking were questions that I really wanted to know. And 50% were questions I already knew the answers to, or I knew what they were going to say, but I was asking them for coaches that maybe, you know, weren't so, weren't so well-schooled, right. Trying to, you know, stimulate some thinking with, with, with coaches. And so, um, you know, that's, and if the person you're interviewing doesn't understand that sometimes, and I know I frustrated the shit out of dad a few times interviewing him and in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in presentations, because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I push him sometimes, or I have to get to the, you know, to get to the root of something. And he, he gets frustrated because some, I, I wouldn't say he gets frustrated, but he gets, he's kind of like looking at me like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> Like, well, I know what you're going to say, but you know, you, you, because sometimes they go off and they, they, they talk on a level and they don't understand that a lot of the coaches that are going to be listening to it don't, uh, it may not, may not have heard of some of the, just even the most basic terminology that they're yeah. talking about. Right. So they, you know, they just assume Bondarchuk, all of Bondarchuk's writings are based on that. Right. All of them, all of them are based on, people understanding uh certain things that he that he hasn't even really written about too much right like you know and that's what confuses the shit out of people and that's you know so anyways it's funny so. you said that too because myself and and uh Jordan who interned at Altus you you I don't know if you remember Jordan was there when I was at Altus at the time, and we met you at the time you came down to present at the ACP but we have a, a joke about Dan called Faf Talk or Paf talk. Yeah. However, I always get shit for this, like because some people call him Dan Faf and some people call him Dan Paf. And like I've asked Dan, and Dan's like, he doesn't care. <laughs> He's like, whatever. Yeah, it's um, both. It's yeah. both. It's Faf and Paf. I mean, I think the American way is Paf, and everywhere else in the world they go Faf, you know. I'd say yeah. Faf, yeah, because European you know, way would I, be Faf, I think. I you know, there's a famous sewing machine company called Paf, Faf. And when, when we did the conference in Vancouver, I was driving him to the, from his hotel to the site uh, where we were to the school where we were doing it. And you got to go up Granville in Vancouver. And there's a big sign that says path in red, big red letters there. It's the, a store for these sewing machines or something. And, and I was like, Oh, there I go. Hey, by the way, I, what is it? Is it path or faff? And I'd known him for like 25 years at this point. And he was like, eh, it's either. <laughs> But uh, it's funny, though, because just when you were talking about, you know, that they would speak and they would assume that the audience would know, like Dan, even even more removed from that, Dan even has like his own language that me and Jordan call faff talk, you know, so where Dan, Dan, you know, he says he goes on fascial matrix and the human. Well, the fascial matrix is hilarious. Yeah, fascial matrix. Yeah. And the human hydraulic system. And it's just like people in the room are like, "Uh, what the fuck is he talking about? Yeah. 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 Well, you have you ever heard me tell a story about the uh, about Dan presenting this back in the Edmonton day, CACC days, we brought him up to do a whole a whole uh weekend conference in i think it was uh regina in uh, saskatchewan or somewhere and we recorded everything we were going to sell all these on the site which we did um was that the uh, the one with mike lee was that the conference he did with mike lee as well no 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 
no, no, I think that was in Toronto. That was later. Uh, I think that was, might have been after I left, actually. But anyways, he's uh, I, I was, you know, that was, you know, back when it was we were still on a shoestring budget and I was filming everything. And, you know, we, this was like the first time anybody had done this kind of stuff, right? Filming and putting it up on websites and stuff. And I'm in the room and he's he's going on uh, in one of his lectures. I think it was a strength when he's talking about warm ups. I've told this story before, but and, and he's going on about about talk talking about. Yeah, you know, we we have these, uh, you know, uh, these certain schemes in this in, in our warm ups that, you know, a lot of it is around vibration and frequency. And he's talking about frequencies, not frequency, the, you know, like Hertz frequency. Right and vibration and they use a lot of that in their warm-ups and i'm like wait a minute man like i have all of your warm-ups and you know i've been i've seen what you do but i i've never seen any vibration right like i've never you know i thought he was talking about vibration platforms because that was kind of becoming a big thing at that point he's going on and on and on and and uh, he goes on for like 10 minutes about this right and the whole audience is there they're kind of you know and these are all grassroots coaches and then at the end of it, when he gets to the end of it, he goes, yeah, so uh, he explains all of this and why it's important for warming up. There's all this, the certain being at a certain frequency with vibration. And then he goes, yeah, so, uh, you know, so, you know, to facilitate that, uh, we do a lot of skipping. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what you were talking about. Like you're skipping Eddie, but you know, and everything he's talking about is legit. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's what he does. And it's, that's why he puts, that's why it's all in there in his mind. Right. But it's like, he's broken it down with the jargon and the way he explains it. It's like, Holy shit. I was like, God, you, you, you know, you could have just said skipping at the beginning, you know, you know, to, to loosen up. Right. Cause that's, that's what he's, it was, it was pretty, but that's Dan. Right. But I think that's important though. Right. And he gets, you know, some people, some old school coaches, you know, criticize him for that, but I think it's important. Um, I think you need to expose as a coach, you need to expose yourself to both, especially as you're a young coach, because like for me, when I met him, he was, that was so stimulating for me, right. To, 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 to meet somebody and create a mentorship or a mentor relationship mentor-mentee relationship where, you know, uh, you know, some of that thought like that, because that's kind of, you know, that's, it, it just motivated me to look deeper and to really get into the science of things when no one else around me was doing that as a coach, nobody, nobody in my coaching, um, in my coaching history, or was that, you know, was that, was that deep into it? And I got into doing therapy and all of this and, you know, um, and all of that, not that I do all of it today, but, you know, it all made, it all made me a better coach. It caused me, it, you know, forced me to think deeper and harder and study more. And, you know, it doesn't mean I'm whatever, you know, that I ended up being like Dan quote unquote, because I'm just not that, I just don't, I'm just not that smart to be honest with you. But, um, I think it's important, you know, and that, and that's, and that, and that when I got to Edmonton, you know, that's, that drove a lot of what we did there because I, I didn't want, I said to Kevin, when we started all that, I said, I don't want there to be a formal curriculum because, and that was on purpose because I wanted a young coach like I was five to 10 years before that 
um, to be able to go in there and access the deepest, most complex Dan talk that there was, because I knew what it did for me. It doesn't mean they have to be like that. It doesn't mean they even have to understand it all, but it's going to stimulate them to think more and to research more. And, you know, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't, it, it doesn't mean it has to express itself in your coaching. You don't got to be out on the, out on, out on the playing field or the track and talking in all those terms, but you gotta, you gotta, you, I think you do have to understand some of it on, on one level. So, yeah, yeah. I, so. I, I, I do think it's important. So getting on to the topic for today's podcast, which is yes. long-term athlete development. They, um, what I was saying was I was re going through some of the uh, modules on the Altus foundation course. And within that you covered long-term athlete development and how you would set up a like philosophy document. If you were working within a club within a sports club now you kind of target it more towards a track and field club but i mean you can take these concepts and apply them to any sort of sports club so in my realm that would be like a, a gea club here in ireland because that's my background in the sport i do it mostly but um just yeah long-term athlete developments the reason why that also came to my mind was from listening to your own podcast i know you were you were talking about the the sports parenting course you were hoping to to do and, and i think you initially had it finished but then you said you felt that it was too much and you wanted to sort of make it more concise and refined so you can obviously tell the listeners where you are in, in, with that course but so what i'm going to do now is say long-term athlete development and it's just going to be over to you now for the next however long we go on and any questions that come along organically I'll just ask. So just long-term athlete development, your thought process, what would that look like if you were getting involved again in a sports club, everything that would be involved in that, the kids, the parents, and the, obviously the training, the nutrition, the recovery, everything. Holy cow. Okay. So, all right. Well, all right. Thanks. So um, I guess we should say we did not discuss this before. <laughs> I just found out we were talking about this like or where we started. Right. So, uh, which is good though. I think, I think that's good because uh, I think it's, it's better when it's more organic, but um, well, it's interesting. You ask that because I, I just started a new job. Right. And I'm working, get this. I am being paid to coach hammer for a private club out in the burbs here in Chicago. And that has been, uh, it's called hammer man uh the hammerman uh i don't even think it's called hammerman track clubs it's called hammerman athletics or something it's a it's a um it's a guy named jim coxworth he's my boss i'm the only employee in it i think and uh it's uh this is a guy who is uh you know he's done well and he wants to give back and make a difference and so he's uh he set up this incredible uh outdoor facility working on an indoor uh, for hammer throwing and he, he rents it out to other throws as well, but it's primarily built as a hammer. It's like a five acre field. That's just beautifully maintained with two cages. He's putting in a whole other cage, a whole other arena for, it's really cool. This idea he's got for meets. Um, anyways, but it's, it's for, to teach the hammer to disadvantage kids, right? um to pay nothing for it and this guy's footing the bill for everything i mean it's quite amazing so you know uh, i've been so i'm in the i've spent the, this first month we start today today is our first actual workout uh with these kids uh, i we did a little bit last fall he's been working with a couple of them a handful of them 
for the last few years. They're all young kids in middle school to high school. Um, and, uh, you know, but for the last month I've been putting together, you know, all these, these types of documents like you, you were talking about. And, um, you know, it, it's funny because I see a lot of that now, I, you know, and they look uh, remarkably similar to, to, to some of the ones I've put out. I did one for Altus a few years ago too, as part of my presentation. And to me, it's, it's those documents I think are really important. The reason I put them together uh, was because if I didn't, I would forget. That's the, the, why, the reason I'm a big, I'm big on writing everything down. I'm big on having workout sheets. I'm big on planning and people think it's because I'm, I'm over-organized or I'm anal or, you know, and that's some of that's true, but for the most part, it's because I'll forget. Like I, I just, I'm terrible that way. Right. I have a very bad, you know, uh, memory and I'm very easily distracted. So like I'm working with a, a, another girl, not in that program, but in town here, her name, I, I call her dizzy and she's uh she's a girl I, I found in high school last year and I'm teaching her the hammer right now. And she's, she's quite, uh, she learns quite well and uh, she's very busy with other things. So we're only, we're, we don't, we don't get in the circle as much as we should, but she's uh, she learns quite well. And, and, you know, I've, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have a full on sheet. I what I want her to do a progression. She's learning the hammer, which you got to have a progression. If you're going to learn the hammer, if you want to do it right, because, you know, it, or at least for me, I, I have to write that down because I'll, otherwise I get to work out and I will just say, okay, let's go. I'll rush things. I'll forget to do certain drills I want to do. And, and I found that when I write it down and there's a progression that it's, you know, it just, everything just goes better. And so that's, I taken that concept. And when I was in the club, you got to remember when I was a coach at that Kamloops club, I coached all the events in track and field, all of them except endurance. Like when I say endurance, I mean like uh, cross cut. Well, I coached the little kids in cross country, but I coached everybody up to the 1500, um, all the, and all the speed power events for the ages 14 and up. Um, and at one point I had 45 or 50 kids all scattered across these different events. I mean, I had to be organized, right? I couldn't just show up to workout and go, okay, well, you know, okay, well, what do we, you know, okay, let's do this today. I mean, it was just, I'd go nuts. Like it would, you know, so I came up with this really uh, organized system for managing workouts. It's based on dance system, to be honest with you. And, uh, but I took that even further and, 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 you know, I've said this before too, you know, at the time I thought everybody was doing this, right? So as a young coach, I was ambitious, uh, I wanted to do things right. The first year I got there, I noticed I, you know, I, I realized I had two or three huge talents in my hands, you know, athletes that were 14 to 16 years old that I, you know, three of them, I was like, holy shit, these guys could go, these guys could actually go the distance. Right. And they did. Right. Um, Dylan, Gary, and Shane Nimi. And, um, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, geez, I, you know, I need to do this right. Like I need to do this right. So I started reading and, 
And so, but with all these different responsibilities and events and all of this, I had to do with all these different athletes. If I didn't have it written down, I, I would, I, I would just get lost with all those events. So, and then, you know, but I, then I, so I started writing everything down, but the thing is, is you can't write, you can't be too detailed in it because then you spend all your time reading, <laughs> following these things and no time coaching. And you, that, you know, so I, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to have certain key documents, but one master document that is going to have everything I need to know in general on it. And it's got to be on one page. And a buddy of mine taught me that a buddy of mine in, who works in human resources, he's, the uh, buddy of mine who I met my wife through. And I remember showing him some of this stuff and he was like, okay, this is all good. He goes, but you know what, you know, you need to, you need to, you need to scale this down to one page, one page. And he was right. And so I would do this, I would have this thing, you know, and the one that everybody sees is the old one, the one that you were just referring to. And, you know, that wasn't, put together for anybody to see other than me. Right. And I, but it turned out that, you know, it, it got out and, and, and not that I was trying to hide it, but it was just like the, my, the purpose of that was it sat on my wall right next to my desk. And so every time I was going to make a plan or I was going to write a workout, I would just look at it and would remind me, okay, what age am I writing this plan for? Okay. 14 to 16. Okay. What should we be doing? Okay. Okay. Well, I want to stick mainly to unilateral patterns in the strength. I want to be doing this in the power. I want to speed should be here. And, and then, you know, it was just, you know, just some guidelines. Right. And so, you know, um, and, and at, you know, and so I, I became known sort of as somebody who at least was organized. And then I ended up working for, uh, LTAD, um, or for athletics, Canada, putting together the, an LTAD model for athletics under Ishvan Bali, who was the guy who basically invented LTAD. Now at this point, I think we should talk about the term LTAD, because the term LTAD means something very specific, right? Or there's elements to long-term planning for youth that are very specific to LTAD, right? LTAD is like the term periodization. It gets used as a, as a general term for anything to do with putting together progressions or, you know, uh, any sort of plant long-term planning for youth, right? When in fact, it actually means something different. And it's important for people to understand, especially lately, because the actual, you know, LTAD has been taking a hit over the last few years. You know, John Kylie has Kylie ever been on your podcast? Yeah, he has. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I got to go and listen to that. Uh, He's a brilliant dude, man. He 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 was in uh, he was in the UK when I was there, and one of my big regrets of being in the UK was not not taking advantage of him being there. Um, but we were also freaking crazy. We were also we were running on, you know. I mean, we were just going a million miles a minute there. I probably wouldn't have had the time, anyways. But I remember. But you know, and John wrote that article. It's actually right here. It's sitting right next to me. I'm, I'm doing my taxes right now, and I'm going through all my my. Um, I, you know, I was going through all the paper next to my desk stuff I got to get. And I've read that thing a couple of times and I got to reread it again. And the response from 
is it uh, a Surin? And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a great debate, right, that John started, which is, uh, and then there's these other researchers from a guy from England, and I think a guy from uh, the Netherlands or somewhere. And, you know, they've all this, there've been all these, these, this, uh, uh, this academic response to LTAD that is saying, look, you know, it's like periodization. There's no proof to it. Right. There's no real proof to any of this work, particularly around, you know, the peak height velocities and the and the and the, uh, you know, the windows of opportunity and all of, all of this. So anyways, so that's important to understand. When we, so you use the term LTAD. Um, but for me, what I was doing was not, I would say, LT, as LTAD, because I, I never used any of those concepts. For me, it was just basic planning, long term planning. I needed to know. Uh, what I needed to be doing for each age group at each level or not know what I needed to do. I needed to decide what I was going to do at each of those eight, at each of those ages with the, with the goal being um, for them to not only be, um, you know, uh, be successful at, at their current age, whatever age you were at, but also, get to a high performance level and be able to continue, you know, being, being coachable through their twenties into their thirties and to do it without hurting them. Right. Like, you know, and make them robust, right. Like make them, you know, so in other words, the idea was to prepare them for what was going to come um, without properly, without, without, uh, and this was the big thing without, um, it didn't matter if they were in endurance or speed power without negatively impacting any of their speed qualities. Right. That was the whole thing in a nutshell. Right. And so, you know, I would produce these documents where it had over at the top, there would be columns. Each column was a two, two year, um, a two year uh, uh, span, which started at 14. So there was 14, 15, then 16, 17 then 18, 19, and then 20 and beyond, right? Uh, 20 and beyond basically being, uh, you know, entry into high performance, right? Um, the reason I picked those was not because LTAD told me to do that, but because those were the two-year um, divisions in our sport in the province that I, you know, that I, uh, that I, that I was working in, in Canada. And 14 years old in Canada is when high school starts, right? So, you know, it's just, there's just a lot of natural, it's just a natural division, right? I think you could take that particularly for girls and start that process earlier, like 12 and 13. But I, I think you're fine to start it at 14 and 15. You're better to air later than you are to start it earlier. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's how it became, but I never did any of the, I, I, I mean, I never tracked, I, I, not once did I ever measure anyone's height. I, I never did anything like that. I, it just, and not because I didn't believe in it. I mean, I loved working with Ishvan. I learned a ton from him, but it was just impractical for me. There's no way I was going to be able to do it. Like it was just, I just knew, I mean, as ambitious and as organized as I was, I knew that looking at that, there's just no fucking way that I was going to be able to measure and record and track heights and then plan around it. And like, there's no way, man. So I just basically came up with a, with a, you know, a basic set of principles and rules that I was, 
that I was going to abide by. And, uh, you know, and I would write basically write, um, I would write workouts for each. So I'd write a workout every week for the 14 and 15 year olds, one for the sprinters, jumpers slash jumpers like Dan does one for the throwers and one for the endurance people in which I didn't have a lot of, but, um, and, uh, you know, and, and if I had somebody, you know, as they sort of, uh, you know, the, the cream kind of rose to the top through that system, then the, then the plant, or they went further along, the plants would get more individualized. So I'd actually write an individual plan for certain athletes and they all followed the same basic, basic, you know, uh, progressions. Right. So, and I'm not sure where I, so let's take strength, for example. Right. And I'm not sure exactly where I got this, but I'm pretty sure it started at least. And I know I modified it myself, but, um, it started from Poliquin, a course I took with Poliquin back in the day. But if we talking about strength, then what I did was, uh, there, I'd have no formal strength training until 14 years old. Right. And then in our club and remember, you know, I was the head coach, the guy in charge of a club in a small town isolated. So I didn't have any other competitors on the track. Like there were no other clubs, no other coaches, nobody, nobody was going to influence what I was doing positively or negatively. Any influence I had was from my own research or talking to other people. So I could just, I just had carte blanche to do what I wanted. So this is what I did. Right. And no one argued, right. <laughs> like nobody got in the way. Right. So, so what I did was, uh, you know, if we're looking at strength, I, you know, the, though that 14, you know, before 14, um, I oversaw that program in the club. Um, but I, uh, I didn't, I didn't actually coach it other than cross country in the fall. I coached the little kids in cross country in the fall. So anyways, and they did, so I made sure that they did no formal strength. Everything with them was general strength, body weight type exercise. It had to be included, but I, I let the coaches do their own programs. But it had, you know, it had to be included. So they would just, you know, they would give the kids a lot of basic general strength, a lot of med ball throwing, stuff like that. A lot of general jumping activities and, and tons of technique and speed, right? And then at 14, if we're talking strength, it would be, they would start with um, unilateral and contralateral patterns for the next two years, 14 and 15 only. I would not let them touch uh, a bilateral exercise. Okay. Um, and in terms of intensities, I would start at 20 to 40% of body weight. That was it. Right. And, you know, back at the time we didn't have a shit ton of money and I had tons of athletes. So in order to make that work, well, I knew what I had to have. Right. So our, our, um, our environment really reflected this. So you you know, writing a program like that with trying to do that, let's talk, let's just say that what I just described, strength 14 and 15, and everybody's going to be doing, you know, uni and contralateral exercises, which means they're not, do, you know, it's going to be step ups, lunges, things, things of that nature. They're not going to be doing bilateral squats, okay, <clears throat> or bilateral Olympics. I would have them do one legged Olympics or split. Olympics, but I usually didn't teach Olympics till a bit later, but 
not that you couldn't, I just didn't, I just didn't know enough to, I probably would now, but anyways, I would just make sure it was like a split clean or something like that. And I'd make them alternate or whatever. Um, but our environment, you know, like when you're trying to do that with a, with a, you know, 20 kids at a time in a, in a bunker, like I had, you can't have, you know, uh, one squat, one squatting cage with two bars. Right. So I had two full sets of fixed barbell weights, which we made, I bought all the plates and I had a father weld them all with one inch bar stock, right. Black bar stock. And we, everything from like, I think it was like 15 pounds right up to like 80 or 90. Um, so the athletes, you know, no matter what athletes never had to, had to wait for equipment. Everybody had what they need and they could just grab it. They didn't have to, it was all labeled. They could just grab it, do it. Um, and then get, you know, get, it was all very, very efficient. Right. So anyway, so, and so I would, you know, and, and I would make sure that the, uh, that it, not just strength, but the power was, was the same. So all of the power exercises we do not, I mean, it wouldn't be like, it wasn't like, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't, I mean, you might see a bilateral exercise in there, right? It was, but generally speaking, I tried to keep everything either on one leg or on a, uh, on an unstable base, right? So in a lunge position. So they would do heaves, uh, like front heaves in up from a lunge position. And I, I drew up all of these circuits that were designed for this, right? So again, if you know, know Dan stuff in his book and his organization, and I've just put one together for this new job I'm in, you know, each circuit, they're not just blindly put together. There's a, you know, I know that if you ask me that, well, you know, uh, tell me the name of a circuit in your program that is unilateral, I will say, okay, you know, helpless, right? They're all named after Neil Young songs and stuff. <laughs> But um, I would, you know, okay, do helpless. And I know that that circuit is a, has a certain pattern to it that I want done. So anyways, so the power was basically the same, you know, pushing off one leg, like a, a chest pass off one leg or something like that. Um, you know, speed would have a similar start. It would be, you know, the focus was on very short speed and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then at 15, or sorry, at 16, 17, after that, those two years, then at 16 and 17, it would, then it would go, I would, I would, uh, oh yeah. Did I talk about the intensity? So the intensity was 20 to 40% of body weight. Right. So I'd let the athletes figure that out and everything was done as fast as possible. Okay. With good technique. Right. And, uh, so then at, uh, 16, 17, then it went, um, I would add, uh, I would add bilateral patterns in. Okay. Not exclusively, but I would add it. So then we started to, I'd start to teach them a formal squat, right. Um, throwing, you know, doing back heaves off a of bilateral stance, front heaves and that kind of thing and all kinds of other exercises. Um, and the intensity would go up to 40 to 60% of body weight. Okay. And then there'd be corresponding progression in each of the, as you went down that column on the sheet, it was, you know, like for power, it would say same as previous, but with the addition of bilateral patterns um, and, uh, you know, um, gradual in 
intensification, blah, blah, blah. Right. Which just means that, you know, the balls got a little bit heavier with the, when you, if you're talking about med ball, but back to strength, it would be uh, yeah, 40 to 60% of body weight. And, you know, but now we formally, you know, um, we were doing more bilateral stuff and I'd introduce Olympics and they started doing, you know, the formal Olympic stuff and that would go for two years. And then in, uh, at, at, uh, 1819, it was basically the same, but then we started to add working off, uh, one RM, right. Or, and I never, we never tested one RM really, uh, was mostly three RM we would test for. Right. And then I started working off percentages. Right. And I, and then that opened up a whole other, you know, realm of exploration. And remember when I started this, it's not like I started with only 14 year olds. I had athletes, right across the board when I started. Right. So I had athletes that basically were 18, 19 starting this, you know, and I'll get to that in a second, but um, you know, so, you know, then we started to work more formally. So nobody really got into formal, real formal lifting the way I see it around here until um, you know, they were 18 or 19, right. Where you're working off of percentages of a, of a one RM and, and now the other, there's two other things that, that were, you know, that, that wasn't the only part of this progression. Right. And then at, and then at, I should say this too, but, and then once they got to the very last stage, which was 20 and above, it's like gloves are off. They're ready. It's full on whatever you need to do kind of thing. Right. Um, but the other, the other, uh, the other umbrellas, I guess I would say here, the other sort of, uh, flavors across these the other things that flavored the decision making across this progression was number one was we especially when it came to strength and and power but it was the patterns were like i worked from the core outwards right so it was a lot of trunk stuff at the beginning, we did a ton, you know, and always a lot of truck stuff. So again, it goes back to the organization, right? I can't remember, like, I can't, I, I can't trust myself to remember that every athlete at every stage is going to have to have some twisting exercises in. So I built them right into the program. It was in there already. All I, all I had to do was once a week, make sure I picked a circuit from the right column or the right category. And I knew that was built in, right. There would be some twisty stuff in there because I, I, that's how I designed them. Right. So um, not just twisting, but ab and back strength and stuff like that. Right. And then the sec, the other thing that flavored it, which was very much related to that was uh, movement planes. Right. I made sure that in the general exercises and to some degree, some of the specific exercises that um, there was some attention paid to move movement through all three exercise planes, right? Not just sagittal because we're so sagittal plane dominant, right? Which means for those who don't, haven't heard that is, is all that means is that, you know, you, uh, not everything can be front and back oriented, right? So, you know, like, uh, if you're looking at trunk exercises, not everything can be, can be in the, in the, in the form of a, 
of a crunch or a sit up or a back extension, you've got to have some transverse plane movement in there, which means twists. And you, and most importantly, I, to me, you've got to have some frontal plane movements in there. So I would have this, I would make sure all my circuits and my, you know, everything across this progression had these elements in it built in. Right. So, you know, frontal plane being side to side movements, which is really hard to come up with, you know, when you, when you vary the exercises, the way I do, especially with the Bondertruck system, you've always got to be coming up with new sets of exercises. Well, if you, if your framework is everything, you have to have something in there representing all three movement planes, sagittal is easy because there's a billion exercises transverse is a little harder because, you know, you got to come up with, you know, there's not, there's not as many exercises to choose, although there's quite a bit, but frontal is way harder, right? Because how, you know, how do you vary that movement? Right. And it's so important. And so, yeah, it took me a few years to put all this together, but once I got it all together, then it was like, it just sort of ran itself. Right. And I just, you know, it made my decision making and my coaching so much easier. And at the end of 11 years, when I left, Looking back on it, I never had a single hamstring pull. I never had, uh, other than Dylan, his last year, had a few back issues, but nothing major. Nothing that ever stopped him from doing anything. And that was, he got those because we were just doing some crazy, stupid experimentation. And, you know, when it got to be too much, we just, we just backed off. But other than that, I mean, I never had a back injury, never had a knee injury, never had a hamstring injury in 11 years, which is pretty good record. Right. So, you know, it was just a very prophylactically organized program long-term and just to, just, just to sort of say one other thing is, so, you know, the, na the natural question to that, to that is, or the natural response a lot of people have is, well, like, you know, like, what do you do if, you know, when you got an athlete that's 17, that starts this, that's not at 14 or 19, right? That's raw, that has no, you know, well, you do the same thing, but you don't, you know, if the, if the but the, if the athlete's 18 or 19, they clearly don't have a, uh, you know, time to go through an eight year progression or you know, if you, I, I included that, that before the age of 14, 13 and under, I call I would call that a two year sort of general prep stage. That was sort of stage one. And the 14 and 15 year old stage was actually stage two. Um, I would, uh, you know, no, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have them. I wouldn't set them off on an eight year progression. It might only be a year or two years, but I would still do the progression. I've just shortened it all. And, and based upon what I thought their needs were, that phase might be longer or I would get to it sooner, right? So, you know, um, yeah, and that's basically how it all came about. And I just had it all written down and, and you know, I presented that for the last freaking 15, 20 years, right? And, and it's funny because now I see the, these all these charts coming out. And I'm not saying any of it comes from my stuff, but it was very similar. So I think, you know, I think when you, when you look at what really sort of needs to be done, LT or LTAD or not. And if I think people that think carefully about these things, 
Um, so the guy, who's the guy in Britain there, uh, I was working, I was trying to get him on the podcast. They were going to, um, he works with Mike Young and Mike Young is a guy I, I would definitely put in you. Mike Young and this other guy, God damn, what's his name? David J- something. Uh, James Baker. James Baker. That's it. That's it. Yeah. 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 I think all of us get to the same place, right? I think we all get to the same place a little differently. Right. But I think we all get to the same place where, you know, it's, if you're going to do it right and you want to prepare athletes for, for, you know, performance in performance, in high performance, you want them to be good later on. You know, I, th- I think you'll eventually get very close to what I used to do or what I'm doing now, what those guys have put together, you know, in these, this day and age, people formalize it a bit more because, you know, uh, and, you know, which is good. Right. But, you know, when you're trying to package it and sell it too, which I think is good. Right. But, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get more, you know, you're, you're going to reduce things a bit more naturally. Um, Mike and, James, James, yeah, James Baker. They've done a great job. I mean, I love their stuff, right? But, you know, there'll there'll be differences. To me, and I say this all the time, it's the content at each of those stages, what is in those boxes, in those columns is very important. But what's, it's not as important, the, 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 the minutia of it, what you choose in there. And even so much as what you say you're going to do, in terms of specialization or early specialization, whatever it is, choosing loads, choosing exercises, that's less important than actually having a progression, which is the big problem. That's the real, real fuck up everybody makes. And being here in the U.S. for the last two years and working in the high school, oh my God, that's that's what they all miss, right? It's They go right, they start right at the last stage. <laughs> Clean, squats, bench right away. And they get, you know, and, uh, you know, I've talked to coaches, you know, they're real, a lot of them are real proud of themselves. If they, if they don't go into full on max testing right off the bat, they think that they, they think, Oh yeah, I'm really, really holding back. I'm like, Holy shit. You know, I mean, I can't even have that conversation with them because I'm just like, dude, you, you know, and you know, uh, and I, you know, you, and I, I, I would say this though, having been here, you have to be here to understand why it's like that, right? Like the drive for this college scholarship is so fucking great. Um, and it should be because for that's what we're doing. It's what I'm hired for in my new job. It's to help these kids with nothing that have no fucking chance whatsoever to get a scholarship down the road. Right. So am I going to push the envelope for some of them to get some performances up early? Yeah, I'm probably going to do it, but I'm going to do it properly. Right. But these guys, I mean, they just, that just all goes right out the fucking window. Right. And they just, you know, there's zero thought to mobility, zero thought to core strength, core strength being, you know, trunk strength, zero mobility to any the you know thought given to any sort of global patterning which i think is a big thing too zero thought to zero thought to to you know different choosing exercise through the three movement planes it's like 
they only know three exercises, maybe four if you include a snatch. And that's the other thing. You know, I think if you include a snatch, that's so revolutionary. Oh my God, it's unbelievable. But again, you know, if you're a high school coach and you know, you got and you're and you're there, you know, you're not getting rich, you're not doing it because it's uh, you know, you're you're getting rich doing it, you're doing it be, for the right reasons, most of them for sure. Uh, you got kids that, especially if you're inner city where they're, they don't have a fucking hope in hell of, of even getting to a college. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you don't, you don't give a shit about long-term athlete development. You need to get them, you know? So I get where they're coming from, but I think it's, you know, they, you know, they're, they're not gonna, they're not gonna be able to sit down and read what, you know, I've written or, or, or forget about what. James Baker and Mike Young have written. I mean, you know, they're just, it's beyond what their, their scope, right? Um, even as good as that stuff is and as awesome as it is, it's just these guys, they're, they're, they're nowhere near it. They're nowhere near it. And so it's a big fucking problem, man. I mean, it's, it's real. I didn't realize not only how big a problem it is, but how, how the futility in trying to fix it. Like, it's just, you just, when, when you're out there day to day, like I was the last year, man, you, you, you just, you just kind of go, holy shit. Like, which I would, it's not impossible, but you got to have these things written out, right? Like you've got to, you, it, it makes what everything I just talked about, about having a plan, right? It makes it even more important even more freaking important. The only difference is, is your plan rather than maybe having two year stages might be a one year stage in each one. I don't know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So which kind of brings me on to a follow-up question then is in terms then of clubs where a lot of the coaches are just volunteers and their parents. So what, what would your solution be to the education then of, you know, these volunteer parents? And again, a lot of these parents too, they, maybe coming at this from, again, the scholarship aspect of college. And, you know, we've heard the stories from other peers of ours in the field and through other coaches within the field of, you know, the parents who, like, they bring their kids to these athletic performance facilities and it's just all about, like, get them bigger, faster, stronger now, 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 so that they're ready to go for college, where if if they are lucky enough to meet an enlightened and well-educated coach, the coach, you know, is trying to explain to them, you know, that about this more sort of slow cooking process that we need to prepare your son and daughter, you know, we need to build up their athleticism and, you know, trust me, we will get them bigger, faster, stronger. And some parents will buy into it, but you get an awful lot of parents then who just bounce around from coach to coach or from program to program because mm-hmm. they, they, they feel that they're, they're not like progressing fast enough. So I suppose I did ask in the initial question too, to, to discuss about the parenting aspect, because I know that again, your course was, sport uh, was, um, it was sports parenting or parent, yeah, sports parenting. Yeah, yeah So parenting. I mean, m- maybe get a little bit into that. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, it probably doesn't even have to. It doesn't have to be just to, to deal with the parents of the children themselves, but even like the other volunteer coaches or. No, no, I totally. Well, I yeah. okay, yeah. So, so <laughs> the sport parent course. Fuck. Okay, so I spent a year on this thing in my basement, you know, refining, doing all of this. And I started it in Canada and then finished it when I was here in the U S and 
you know, like everything I do, it's too much. Right. And it's, you know, it's probably overdone, but there's some real, I think there's some really, really good information in there. And I went through, you know, and I, and I did it because I, I was, you know, and my kids were at that age. Right. And I was starting to think about, you know, like shit, parents don't know, right. They don't know. So the point of it was to educate and bulletproof parents so that they could walk into a facility and, and say, okay, well, oh, well, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. You know, oh, that's good. That's good. Help them make decisions. But really what it, what it, so the, the idea was I was going to have three courses, one on the physical part, which is the one that's pretty much done another on dealing with coaches and another on dealing with your own athletes. Right. And I never got around or I haven't yet got around to doing the second two because the first one I, to date, I've sold three. So all that work for three. I think what I got to do is I, I think I'm going to lower the, the, the cost of it. It's 50 bucks. I think I'll lower it to 30 or something, but anyways, it's, um, um, you know, there, I, I came up with this series of graphic videos that summarize the modules in it. And I let Stu look at all, Stu McMillan look at all that. And he was like, Oh my God. He's like, these videos are, are amazing. He said, that should be your course. Just that's, so that's what I was going to do is just make a course of just that. Um, so anyways, I, I'll tell you what, you know what, when I get off this podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to cut the price in half of that course. And we'll see, <laughs> but it's, it's everything I've been just talking about at state, but it's directed towards parents. But, you know, the first thing Stu said to me when he, when he went through it, is he said, he said, that's not a parent coaching parent coaches course. It's a, that's an, a, a developmental coaching course. Right. And, but done in very simple terms for a parent to understand. Right. So, so, you know, the, I, the first thing I say to them, in the in the course or one of the first concepts i talk about i don't really get into it in the physical course course one because i was going to save that for course three and that is look the first thing you gotta you gotta you gotta be able to do is determine whether or not your kid has talent right because if you think your kid has a huge amount of talent to get to x which whatever it's maybe that's high performance training, Olympic medal, or even just getting a scholarship, then, you know, if, if you think they're at X, but they're actually really at, you know, minus two X, <laughs> you know, much less, uh, then that's a problem because your expectations for your kid are going to be different than what the coach sees, right? Assuming the coach can do that too, because not all coaches are good at recognizing talent. That's a, it's not easy. Right. I mean, that right there, what I just said was that's a big, big part of it. Right. Um, never mind whether these any of these programs have a, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, any kind of long term strategy. I mean, fuck, there's these places out there here, man, that will that takes so much of your money. And there is zero thought put into this zero. It's ridiculous. Like it's the amount of money I've spent, especially during COVID, the amount of money I've spent trying to keep my, you know, my, two of my kids are quite, have found kind of what they want to do. And that's, and they're, and they're off to the races. And, but my youngest, I mean, he's still trying out different things. It's, it's insane. The amount of money that some of these places are charging and they, it's just, I just shake my head. I can't even, I can't even, can't even get into the, into it with them because it's just so, 
So anyways, so, but if we're talking about, you know, what's a parent to do? Well, they gotta, you know, they gotta, they, they just gotta remember. It's like, it, 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 if the athlete is talented and they're in a good environment, okay, it'll look after itself. Okay. It'll look after itself. It, it, it always does. Okay. The question is, do they have talent and is the environment good? And what does the environment mean? It means, well, number one, the first most important thing about uh, a good athletic environment is coaching, right? Is coaching. It's not equipment. It's not, you know, it's not a bunch of experts that are, you know, all, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not putting together some fucking specialized team that is going to, you know, do muscle biopsies on your fucking 13 year old and uh, tell you, you know, how they're, how they're going <laughs> to, what their percentage of fast twitch fiber is any decent track coach would be able to tell you that. Like, like back in the old Soviet union. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure they didn't do that either because they didn't, they didn't need to, because they could tell, right. You do a standing long jump. You, you'll know, you know, you know, anyways. Um, but you know, to, if, if the, I mean, but sooner or later, if you, if your parent and your kid has talent, you're, you're going to find out about it because they're going to be good at everything. If they're athletic, they're going to, you know, it, the, the, the problem is going to be choosing the, the sport for them. And every one of these motherfuckers that you're going to run across is going to tell you that your kid is going to be the next blah, 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 because they're going to take your money, right? They want your money, right? Um, so you got to trust the, you got to trust the coach to, to be honest with you about that. Right. So you, so what does that mean? Well, I mean, you have to do your research, make sure the coach knows what they're talking about. And so, you know, lately the last year or two, I've been on this thing with this, these, this rant about, you know, we need to redefine developmental coaching. And this is a big part of the sport parent course. It's like, well, how do you define what is good coaching? Well, good coaching at the developmental level is completely different from good coaching at the high performance or elite level. And those are two different things themselves, high performance and elite. They're not the same thing. That's another discussion, but, but in a lot of ways, proper developmental coaching is way harder than, than, um, than, than um, elite coaching or high performance coaching, you know, elite coaching is if, if in, in some areas, way easier than developmental coaching, right? You don't have to worry about, you know, hormones. You don't have to worry about whether the athlete is, um, you know, where, what their maturation rate is. You, you, you can safely assume most athletes, unless you're in an early entry sport, most athletes uh, at a, at, that have made it to the elite level, all that's done. Okay. For better, or for worse, all that's out of the way, right? Developmental coach. No. The, you're you're in the thick of it. You you could have a group of 12, 15 athletes, and you know that are scattered across you know four of these divisions I was talking about, and they all have to be handled differently. So you again, it goes back. You got to have a plan in place for this. You can't treat them all the same, right? But anyways, back to this is you know. So I I I've been ranting about what is what is developmental 
uh, coach it would like, how do you, how do you assess a good developmental coach? Well, you know, of course, performance is number one. It's always going to be number one. It always has to be number one because you're, you know, you, nobody wants to suck it at what they're doing. So you want them to be successful, but there's a way to, to make sure that happens and achieve what the next two things that I'm going to talk about are, which are, do they, you know, their, their health, are they bulletproof? Do they get through, do they get to that college scholarship or high performance training? Do they get there? Uh, do they get, do they barely get there hanging by a thread? They've had nothing but constant injuries and they're, you know, that coach is going to have to take two years and rehab them before they get there. You know, they're super talented. They've got big performance, but are they all fucked up? Well, that's useless to a lot of people. Or at the minimum, it's going to take such specialized coaching. You better make sure you made the right decision in terms of where they went. Um, or did they get there, you know, and they're ready to go. They've had no injuries and they're, and they're ready to, you know, they're ready to, they're, they're ready to hit it. Right. And then the third thing is, are they coachable? Did they get there? And all of these, all of the specialized activity that, is going to be necessary at the start of high performance training. Are they going to, you know, is that all going to be new to them, which it's relative, not to it's, you know, it's not a line that you cross at 19 or 20 or whatever the hell the age is 21. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, you know, you, I say this all the time too. You start specializing right at 14, right? You just don't, you just have to have a progression and you have to have a, a, you know, a course of action and there's got to be a, you know, there's got to be stages to it. Right. But really we know that what does it take to what, how much training specialized intensive training does it take for an athlete to reach their peak? It's about eight to 12 years. So we settle on 10, right? 10 years, about a decade. We know that. Right. So depending on what the peak is, in, in any given sport. Right. So you can, you can look at that and, you know, and then, you know, those aren't, maybe they're not so ideal, but we know that, but it's all we've got. So we know that in track, you know, around 25, 26 sprinters peak, we know that throwers uh, jumpers are a little bit after that. And we know that throwers and endurance are, are later than that, right. Throwers 29, 31, you know, generally speaking, right. Generally speaking. So, you know, you don't want that, that intensive window to really start until 10 years before that. Right. So for a thrower, it's probably in their junior years, which, you know, in that, the way I laid out that strength thing was at, at, uh, um, at 18, 19, that's where we introduced maximal strength for the first time. Right. So there 10 years, you're off to the races. Right. Um, you know, so that's, so that's how you kind of, you know, that's how you kind of judge this. Right. And um, so, you know, parents have to understand that, right. Parents and developmental coaches have to understand that. And, and there is a way to get them there that will, that will ensure performance and get, build them for this. Cause you don't want them. Okay. Let's say, you know, you take a kid from the burial, let's say, and you, you know, you do some good work with them and they, uh, you know, and the kids had no hope in hell and the kid got the scholarship, but you've, you've, the kids tapped out at that, at that point and they don't improve. Well, you don't want them to get there and have, 
you know, lose their scholarship or be injured and not, you know, not be able to, uh, not be able to perform or, you know, hate the sport or leave. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the, you know, they're, if, if an athlete is prepared properly, by the time they leave the NCAA in my sport, I mean, shit, they could have another 10 years to go if they, if they, they're really into it, like if they did it right. So, you know, you, I think you have an obligation to make sure that they, that they can do that. Right. And, and just, did I go off track there? No, no, no. There's great information there, but just if, what would your solution be then for, Say I am a parent, but I don't know how to recognize a good coach. What should parents be looking for when they do bring their kids to, you know, sports performance facilities and, and they're meeting the owners or the coaches? Like, what are the sort of questions they should be asking to know, like, OK, this facility is legit. The people in this facility know what they're talking about. Like, I, I feel I can trust these these coaches with my with my kid. Like, what would your recommendation be to parents? Well, asking questions and what they see are two different things. So asking questions should be, your first question should be, um, where's your plan? Where's your long-term plan? Why not? You know, I mean, shit, dude, the amount of money that I, that I've, okay. So my kids in this club. Okay. And I'm not, I don't mean to call this club out. It's a good club. It's a volleyball club. It's uh, called Chicago elite volleyball club. I have a problem with that name because you know, like, you know, elite to me means something, you know, the term elite gets, I said this, the term elite gets thrown around like crazy. I don't see any plan. I don't see anything on their website. You know, my kid goes there and, you know, there's no, there seems to be no plan in place for, you know, they just work the shit out of them, which is good. Cause my kid needs that in a general sense for sure. But, you know, but th there's, there's no real long-term, you should have, there should be a plan. The amount of money I pay, for this, this to be in this volleyball club, I think I'm entitled to ask that question, right? What, okay. Wh what do you, you know, what differs from the training between an, uh, a 17 year old and a 13 year old in this club? How is it going to be different? And I want specifics, like give me some specific examples or give me your, your LTAD plan or not. Let's, Sorry, I shouldn't have used that term. Give me your, show me your progressions, which simply should be the sheet I was just talking about, right? Should be, you know, with, really, that's all you need. And again, back in the day when I, when I did this document, I realized that as, you know, one day I thought, you know what, I'm just going to post this in the, in the, you know, in, on the information board. And I put it there. It didn't make a big deal. Just put it up there for parents dropping their kids off. To, and I see the odd parent looking at it and they start, they would start asking me, well, what should my kid be doing? You know, and, and I think that's super important. So if you don't see that, that's a big red flag. But the but, however, to be fair, you're not going to see it anywhere. OK, I mean, I, short of you go to athletic lab where Mike Young is, you know, you're, you're very few places are going to have. There's a couple of guys here in Chicago land that are doing really good work. Uh, Tommy Christian up north and. Uh, another guy who's taking the bonder truck course, whose name, oh my God, whose name escapes me, uh, out in the, out in the West suburbs, but you know, they're doing this, but, but again, you know, they're fighting the, 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 this, this way, this temptation themselves, right? Because when you're trying to do it right and everybody else is doing it wrong, everybody's like, well, you know, my, I, I want my, it's like, what you just, I want my kid to be doing all, you know, 
uh, push, 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 right? Get stronger, get stronger. Because, you know, um, so anyways, ask the question. Number one, in terms of what you should see, okay? So number one, they should be working on, okay, all of this is in the context of organization, right? The practices should be organized so that there is little downtime and as much skill work and speed work as possible. Simple as that. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, if it's a game sport, they should be working on drills, lots of gameplay because that's important too, but lots of drills as well. They have to achieve that balance. Right. Um, and in terms of strength and conditioning, quote unquote, what you should be seeing is, you know, it, well, it depends on the age, of course, right? But the younger they are, the more, you know, they, they can do a fair amount of that stuff, but somebody should be watching them. Somebody should be teaching them technique. When you're teaching a kid how to squat, let's say do a, just a, you know, I know, I know I talked about being unilateral and, or they're doing a lunge. There's certain ways that exercise needs to be done, right? And if it's not done right, you're going to have issues, right? You're going to have knee issues, you know, postural issues. And um, so they should, they should be, you should see somebody, you know, when they're doing their, here, here's a real big sign. When, when the athletes are all doing, let's say they are organized and they're doing a general strength circuit. If the coach is fucked off in the corner, talking to another coach, that's a huge red flag. They should be walking around, looking at every athlete and commenting on technique, right? And one of the reasons why, or one of the big benefits I discovered to coming up with this huge system I use where like, I just did this a couple of days ago, actually for this, for tonight, when I start with this new job is I have a system where I have uh, like, I'm going to be working with two different groups tonight, hammer throwers, beginners and kids that have a little more experience there one of them is actually pretty good so i have two groups so i have two sheets workout sheets this is what you're going to do starting you know warm up this is your warm oh fuck warm-ups non-existent right like non-existent in track and field that i've seen here maybe for sprinters and endurance people, but in the throws zero no mobility no nothing you know so anyways so i have them i have them with a very short warm-up they do that um and then they will get to, you know, they will get to the technique, what I want done specifically, you know, they have to read it. They have to, you know, I have the shed all. I just spent the last month organizing the equipment shed. So when they walk in there, it's not going to take them 15 minutes to find the piece of equipment they want. I've convinced my boss to invest in a whole bunch more hammers and, and racks and all of this so that the, an athlete can go in there and get it easily. And so we're not wasting time. Right. Um, and so that, you know, he's like, well, why the hell do we need all these light hammers? I only got three or four kids, right, that are going to use them. I'm like, well, because with one hammer, one light hammer per kid, they, they, you know, they're going to get five throws in in a workout when I got, you know, I actually going to have about seven or eight kids. But with six of each hammer, I can have two kids throwing the same way, each throwing three hammers. They're going to get three times the amount of throws in almost in the same given time. It's just economics. It's, it's organization, right? So if you, if you go in there and you see, uh, you know, that kids are standing around or when they are doing something, the coach isn't paying attention and they're not teaching technique, that's a problem. If fitness to them for most sports means going on a long run, 
and doing a lot of heavy, if the athletes are doing a lot of heavy, arduous type of, you know, classic endurance work, that's a big problem. That's a huge red flag, right? Because that's just stupidity on the coach and laziness on the coach's part, right? Right. And so that's the one thing. It should all be about speed and technique and what's well, a skill, right? So that's if they're doing lots of skill, that should be number one. Um, if things should be done in short, limited amounts with everything should look good. So one of the things that I try to teach in this course is I, and I, oh my God, I went through this with, I went back and forth with Dan on this because I was like, Jesus, man, how the hell do I explain to a parent what quality movement means? Like, how do you know with a parent if, who knows nothing about sport, how are they going to know if their kid watching their kid do a practice, whether it's good relative to another program. And so I know what I want to see. I don't want to see my kid dragging his ass and I don't want to see, I don't want to see fatigue to the point where technique gets, you know, is suffering and, and God, what is the term I use? Movement quality. Dan came up with this movement quality. No, no movement. Oh my God. What did no, it's uh, ah, there's another word in there, something movement qualities, right? And so I wrote this script and I didn't put it up. I haven't put it up yet because I, I was debating it because I just thought, Jesus, it's just too weedy. It's too into the weeds for parents. But it's essentially trying to get the idea across to them that what you want to see is that the that everything they're doing is of high quality, right? Like they can do lots of it. There's nothing. They can do shit tons of skill if it's organized and shit tons of speed, right? If it's organized properly and it's, you know, that's work capacity as Dan, you know, they're building up work capacity. They're in, in a sense, it's sort of endurance, but it's work capacity. It's, you know, those two are not the same as we know, but, um, and, you know, then what, you know, what, what, uh, so then what's after that? Well, you know, yeah, they need to do some strength. They should be doing some strength. So if they're doing strength, what, are you, what, what do you want to see? Well, you want, you don't want to, I mean, you certainly don't want to see kids starting with barbells on their backs, doing heavy squats, you know, you know, so you got to be able to look at them and say, okay, you know, are they buckling under the loads? Right. You know, like that's a big, I mean, if they're, if that's where you're at, you're way past the point of, you know, uh, like they're, there's something really wrong. Right. And I'm thinking really, you know, 13, 14, but as you move up, you know, you, you would be more likely to see that you want to be able to see if I, if I let's here, here's an example. If I have a senior high school athlete, junior, senior, as they call them here in the U S grade 11 or 12, right. Their last two years of high school. Uh, if I see an athlete like that doing a squat, which isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. Okay. That's at an age where, yeah, they could, they could, should be start starting that type of work sort of if, as long as they've been prepared for it, if they haven't been, I'd rather them be doing some more, you know, unilateral stuff to work the stabilizers and all that. But um, if they are that fucking coach should be standing there watching them do it. Right. Like you got to watch, you know, where's, you know, what's the line, 
you know, going the the barbell line, you know, where like, where, where's the center of gravity relative to their base? Are their knees tracking properly or are they, are they, you know, going medial as they go down? I'm not the world's greatest squat expert, but you, you, I think I know enough to know what a good and bad squat is, you know, like, um, you know, and hopefully they've been prepared properly so that their core can take it right. So that they can, you know, um, so if you see, again, you know, if the coach isn't paying attention, isn't teaching technique across everything, well, then you got a problem, right? Then you, then you got to, you know, and then, and then what I was going to talk about in this coaching course is, you know, so if you got a problem, how the hell do you deal with it? Right? Like, what do you do? Do you go in there and start telling the coach what to do? No, you don't do that because that is a sure way to, you know, so you're going to have, so, and I came up, I have notes and a, a, a framework for dealing with all of this, which includes, you know, I mean, a bunch of different ways to handle it, but ultimately you, if it continues, you have to, if, if you're in a position to switch programs, you're going to have to switch program because your kid's going to get hurt, right? Find another coach, um, you know, sit down and have a chat with the coach you know, send them, send them to me. I'll, 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 I'll help them get educated. There's a million places online. Send them to Mike Young, go take some of Mike Young stuff. Right. Um, but, um, you know, if, if, if you see that, then you're, you know, you're, you're at some point you're going to, and it's not changed. You're going to have to make a decision. If there's no, here's another one. If there's no power work at all, if they're not doing any sort of explosive work with med balls, let's say, I, I would say that that's, to me, that's where strength should start, you know, like uh, with, with all, you know, throughout all the other, with, with all, considering all the other patterning and stuff I talked about before. It's incredible, man. I have the, 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 the throwing athletes, I'm talking about shot discus throwers in high school, because they don't do hammer and javelin here formally in high school. It's incredible the the athletes I I've watched train in the last year year two years since I've been in the U.S. I've never once, not once, have I seen one throw a med ball. I haven't seen one do a back heave or a front heave or a, a twisting heave or a whatever the hell you want it is or a, a push pass or anything like that. Not once. I have not. Now, it's not to say they're not doing it. Maybe they're doing it somewhere else. But I think the fact I haven't seen one do it is, a, you know, that's a problem to me. Right. You got to, you know. So, you know, the, it's, I could go on and on about what. To, but basically, the bottom line is this you know, ask for a plan and then, you know, look for, you know, make sure that they're doing good quality technique. And if you don't, you know, that means that they're doing whatever the skill is for the sport that they are, you're paying for, right. They're, and someone's watching it and not all of it, you know, some of it should be a, you know, a good chunk of it should be gameplay, of course, but is the gameplay where, you know, there's throwing a ball out there and letting them go at it and the coach isn't paying attention. And then also, you know, uh, you know, because that's not a good thing, but, and then also, you know, there should be some breakdown of the skill. There should be some, some drilling and some proper technical instruction. So, so it's essentially the two takeaways that, well, the two takeaways that I take from that is ask for their long-term plan. And second, look for great attention to detail. Yes. That's a great coaching. way to put it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Great attention to detail. I mean, you know, I, you know, not that they got to be micromanaging every movement that everybody's doing. I'm not saying that, but they got to fucking be into it. Right. Like, I mean, you know, they got to be looking like it just, they got to be watching. It's, it's funny though, as I say, great attention to detail, because as you well know, from obviously your relationship with Stu and you're aware of Sean Mishka and like the whole sort of conversation around skill acquisition in that, like to someone who's not well versed in skill acquisition, they may see a coach who allows their athletes, you know, almost look a little bit chaotic or a little bit, if you want to say sloppy, but that's because they know true learning is not a non, a nonlinear process. And that there is going to be times where, the learning process does look a bit chaotic and, and does oh, yeah. look a bit disorganized. Yeah. So it's just also kind of put that in context for parents too. that they go, well, like, you know, like I actually don't know. Cause the code, the guy, the guy or the girl that coached my kids, they, they, they kind of let like, I don't know. It's like they let some things slide, but the kids love them and, and they're, they're, they're definitely improving in terms of their performance. So, you know, it's just maybe also have that context into, into parents who that well, like you know, the almost a really good coach, a really good coach also understands that you don't want to be so drilled on the finer details that you're almost a crutch to the athlete. You know what I mean? Because then the athlete can't perform well, because it, that's they're, they're, they're inhibiting learning is what I'm saying. So it's, it's to have yeah. that sort of. Yeah, yeah. no, no. Well, well, there's a couple of things. There. Number one is don't make one assessment as a parent don't walk in there well i mean i mean you have you have to you know you gotta this this will only become apparent over time right um but i mean you can walk in on the first day and if you see 10 red flags that i bring up in the course then well then i would probably you know maybe start looking somewhere else right number two is being able to provide everything we've been talking about and motivate an athlete in, and all that really means is making sure that they are successful and that you're not killing their desire. That's the art of coaching. Okay. And whenever I, you know, if I've, I've been in situations where I've presented alongside coaches, you know, on this type of stuff. And I presented or I found myself in contrast, let's say to other coaches that are not, let's say not so well experienced in this, these types of protocols. And the first thing that they'll do is they'll go, they'll start talking about the art of coaching, right? Like there's two different types of coaches. There's the scientist coach, which, I get shoved into, and then there's the artist coach, the motivator, right? Like you have to be one or the other, which is complete bullshit to me, right? The real art of coaching is be, is being able to do everything we just described, but do it in a way that motivates the athletes, keeps their desire intact, allows them to express their ambition which is something nobody ever talks about ever. I actually have a podcast script ready to go on that. Um, you know, that's critical kids. The best athletes I've ever worked with are as ambitious as fuck, right? They want to be good. And you know, the artful coach, a lot of the times will be, Oh, let's hold them back. No, you don't want to hold them back. You want to let that desire develop. You want to let that ambition run like hell. 
but you got to stop them from killing themselves. And you have to provide a program that's going to make sure that that desire and ambition actualizes itself later on, right? That's, that's the art of coaching. It's not standing there, you know, uh, spewing out platitudes and, and, uh, you know, and, and not having a program. That's not, that's not artful coaching. Artful coaching is being organized to the point where it can free you up to, you know, to, to make, you know, to, to be yourself in workout and to let the athletes be themselves in workout and that, and, and foster, you know, a love and desire for work and, and technical improvement and, and, you know, um, on and on and on. Right. It's they're, they're not, they're not mutually exclusive at all. They're they, these two things need to overlap fully in, in a, in a fully realized coach. It will. And then you get damp off. When yeah. So, I mean, when, when science and art both meet. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dan, I mean, you know, again, like you, you know, I learned a lot of that from Dan, right. And Charlie, you know, uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, and Dr. B, right? I mean, in, in a lot of ways too. I mean, but Dan is, you know, yeah, Dan can go on and on and on about the, uh, he can break shit down, reduce things till the cows come home and just make everybody's head swim. But you look at his programming and it's very basic, but it's very, very progressive. It's very, you know, I, I once took, like he doesn't write annual, I don't write annual plans anymore. Although I think young coaches should do it. But um you know, he's never written an annual plan in his life. What he has are his, you know, his micros that basically go for a month, right? They're one month micros. It's very similar to Bondarchuk's system when you look right down. And I once took all of his micros and I, I, uh, I calculated out all the volumes and all the types of work. And I remember I kept, I kept going back. This is when we were in the UK. It was for a presentation. I kept going back to him like, uh, and he's asking questions, you know, Hey, like, what about this one? And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, he goes, what the hell are you doing that for? And I said, well, because I'm trying, I'm going to take everything that is across these, whatever, these micros that go throughout the year that all, you know, they, they exist on like five or six different sheets, right? So you would do sheet one would have a month. And then the next month is a different set of exercises. And it's very bonder track actually, right? There's very little change from week to week it within each cycle the only difference is bonder chucks he formalizes the length of it a little bit different or individualizes the length of it differently and he and he uses measurables to track but whatever um and i said i want to show people what this would look like on an annual plan like you know so that they can see that day one you're getting specific on day one they're doing sprints day one of the first micro of the first, there's no, there's no, you know, it's not going out running miles for sprinters. It's, it's, you know, and I said, and, but, but the way that, you know, in your head, you know, that it does that, but it's not necessarily, you know, and I wanted to show not just that, but I also wanted to show that, you know, what he was doing was basically a Cheney model, right. Which is load is high all year round but he creates adaptation by changing the, you know, by, uh, you know, um, 
basically having changes in exercises and changing the very, you know, using variation, I'll say to in, in terms of um, the activity that they're doing, but the load is basically high all year round. It's just the, there is a progression through it, but that progression is very specific, right? So, you know, in other words, sprinters are sprinting right from day one. It's just a different distance than they're going to be doing later on, right? But, you know, I wanted to be able to show people that in one slide objectively, and I did it. But and and it's really interesting. So, but you know, I forget how I got on that. But. Well, I I brought up Dan. That's why I brought up right, Dan. right, when, yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. art, when yeah. art meets science. Yeah, yeah. But but that that system he did he put together with the book and all the circuits allowed him to become the mechanics, the movement expert that he is. Because it's like uh, a friend of mine, Mike Smith, uh, the great deca Canadian decathlete said to me once I was showing him my, you know, how I was doing this. And he said, yeah, you know, it's like, uh, it's like flying a 747 as a pilot, the coach is the pilot, you put it, what all of this organization. So for Dan, it's all these micros that he's pre-written out that he uses year in and year out. What it, and the system of, you know, every athlete has a book with all of these circuits. For me, it's a sandwich board, which I just built. I put it out and they follow what's on the sandwich board right on the field and work. And, uh, you know, what, what, what it does, it's like, it's like putting the plane on autopilot and it allows you to walk up and down the aisles and make sure everybody's okay. Make sure everybody's happy, which for us means teaching technique. And once you're organized like that, then you're like, then, then you can really focus on the, 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 you know, the mechanical details, teaching technique, all the other parts of the arts of art of coaching, you know, dealing with athletes and their issues and blah, blah, blah. Um, and you're not worried about whether you're doing the right form of work at any given time, because it's all done for you. It's all thought about. It's pre-done. Not that there isn't any individualization. You'll individualize it week to week. Oh, yeah, do a little bit of this, take that out, blah, blah, blah. But generally speaking, that's how it works. So he's the ultimate example. And what you were saying there is, yeah, the guy, you know, you listen to him, you think that the guy is like, you know, so embedded in science that, you know, he, he's got to be as rigid, rigid as fuck. He's not at all. He's the most, he's the most, he, he's one of the loosest coaches I've ever seen on the track, right? Fluid, fluid. Yeah. So, D, you have a call in ten minutes. So, we'll 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 yes, I got a roll, man. We'll hit it with a hard stop here. Just for the listeners, where can they find out more information about you and everything you have to offer? EvilTrackSport.com. That's E V E L T R A K Sport, all one word. EvilTrackSport.com go on there uh if you know again i i i'll you know if the sport parent course says 49.99 it'll then just wait I'll, I'll have that change pretty quick although i'll have it changed before this ever goes up yeah, thanks uh, robbie I'll, thanks I'll, for yeah i'll, I'll put <laughs> my, all the um my disastrous sport parent course <laughs> I'll, I'll have the links to to everything that there has I appreciate in terms of that. website and social and and all the yeah. courses to offer and also mike young is gonna love you <laughs> he got a good few mentions Mike is unbelievable, man. Mike right. is Mike Brilliant. is Mike is the most underrated uh, coach slash sports scientist slash pragmatic educator 
that I've ever met, Matt. When I brought him to my conference, I heard, you know, you know, I heard a few people say, yeah, you know, Mike, yeah, he's got, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's a little, uh, he's a little dull in his presentation and blah, blah, blah. Fuck man. That those couldn't be further from the truth, man. Mm, I think he he's great. is the, he is unbelievable. And not only, you know, I mean, he's what, what he does in at athletic lab is what I was doing back in Kamloops, except at a, at a way higher level. Like mm. he's just doing it. He he's so, he's so on top of it with the, it, it, it he's, he's doing what I was doing, but at a, at, at, at a cutting edge level. He's so, uh, he's so unassuming too, because it's funny you mentioned that some people say his presentations are dull because then you get this sort of perception that he's a sort of very reserved person. But then when you kind of get to know him, you're like, he's got a really funny sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I didn't get to know him very well other than having him on the, you know, the, the formal, the podcast as well. yeah, the podcast the and stuff. Podcast, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, it, people that think his presentation style is dull will not get anything out of my presentations, not technically because they're, because they're, they're, they're there for the wrong reason. Yeah. His, his stuff is so well presented. I mean, Brilliant. it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. He's, he's he, the guy. He great. also, he also just in the slide, his actual presentations in, in terms of his actual PowerPoints, they're so aesthetically beautiful no and well put together. Aren't they? Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, because when, when he presented at the conference, I couldn't remember, like I, I, I didn't attend any of this stuff because uh, I'm always open. I, I don't attend any of them really. I'm always out yeah. putting out fires, but it was later when I was putting together the videos for the site. You were like, his, this I'm, I'm just like, holy shit. Like this guy is like, these are by far the best him and Viesti, right. Were the, were the, uh, were the two, the two ones that uh, that's Viesti and Hafsins in the throws coach. I mean, just mm. incredible presentations, like just so well done. And yeah, just anyways, Amazing. can't say nothing. Anyway, listen, Matt, I got to roll. Yeah, I'll just I'll wrap up and I'll say a big or a big a quick goodbye to the offline. So for everyone listening, we'll have Derek back on soon enough. But until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.